Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, what have we got around the grounds this week? The AOC are set to send athletes home from the Olympic Village in Paris straight after competing. Like they're naughty little kids. <laughs> Newcomers Western United secure their spot in the A-League W Grand Final and Aussie rookie Grace Kim claims her maiden LPGA Tour victory. For the key story, we'll discuss England women's rugby head coach Simon Middleton's proposed rule change for kickers in women's rugby. So much sarcasm in that so sentence. Much <laughs> anger. Um, my name's Chloe Dalton. Um, what's next? Um, it's been a while since I've said it because we had a week off over Easter. Yeah, how was your Easter, friend? Uh, it was really nice. Yeah, yeah. Riley and I had a very quiet weekend, one that was well needed, mm. I'd say. How was yours? You still played. Yeah, we had... Rugby stop, did not stop for anyone, so Mm-mm. it doesn't really feel like I had a long weekend. Mm. But it was nice. It was nice not to – I missed the rap, but I didn't miss doing the research. Is that a bad thing? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Um, hey, we're having a merch sale. I need to stop saying um. We're having a merch sale at the moment. It was due to end Monday night, but for our podcast listeners, our faithful Tuesday morning – there's people like bang on 6 a.m. If, if the podcast isn't out, they know. The Tuesday a.m. cohort. Uh, we decided to extend it for 24 hours for you guys to get on the sale. 20% off everything online, thefemaleathleteproject.com forward slash shop. Do not miss out. There's some great stuff still to be snapped up before we get some new fun merch in. How good. I'm excited for our new winter merch. So am I. Let's take a look around the grounds. So in some Olympics news, the Australian Olympic Committee looks set to enforce a rule for the Paris Games that will see athletes vacate the village within 48 hours of their last event. The AOC is looking to replicate what occurred in Tokyo 2020, which obviously those restrictions were due to COVID. This time around, though, they're keen to remove the chance that athletes that have finished competing will distract those that have not. The eye rolls have already started over here, people. The Olympic Village is a dry village with alcohol banned and as a result, the partying tends to happen away from the village So, and also obviously those athletes that are still competing. But the AOC says there's evidence to prove the decision will benefit the health and performances of the team. The decision has been met with shock from a number of current and former athletes, including swimming legend Gian Rooney, who said, I really liked this, this is a long one, but it was worth it. Um, she said, I think it's a real shame because for most people, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. It diminishes the Olympic experience. Because alcohol is banned in the village, any parties all take place outside the village, but there's already plenty of noise and distraction because people are coming and going all the time. But that's all part of the Olympic experience. And it's actually inspiring to see people walk around the village who have won medals. It gives everyone a lift. I'm incredibly proud to be an Olympian and incredibly proud to say I swam at two Olympics, but a lot of the best memories I have are of getting dressed up and going and supporting my teammates. So Callie McEwen also was a bit taken aback. She was told the news when she was addressing the media ahead of the Australian Swimming Championships. And um, she also responded saying, that's the first time I've heard of it. To be honest, I'm really disappointed. I'm really devastated. In 2021, us swimmers and a lot of other people who finished their sport got sent home to do quarantine for two weeks. We didn't get to live the Olympic dream. AOC Chief Executive Matt Carroll said in a statement, it's purely a performance-based decision. The learnings from Tokyo were absolutely positive that for the athletes who are competing in the second week, reducing the load on the village by athletes who have finished was positive for both their preparation and their health. The AOC have said that athletes can remain can opt to remain in Europe in order to attend the closing ceremony at their own expense because it's cheap in Paris in the middle of summer. In the middle of the Olympics. So cheap. So cheap. So that cheap. All right. So here we go. We're going to throw over to a real life experience here. Rio, let's cast our minds back. Whoa. Seven years. 
Wow, that's gone fast. Sure has. Wow. 2016 Rio, Brazil, someone I, kn- I know pretty well, won gold on like day three. Um, do you, I think you know her too. Um, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Getting the tattoo out for those not watching. You had a really amazing time obviously winning gold but then post winning gold. How do you feel about this decision? I was very, very shocked to read this decision and I think Kaylee McEwen summed it up quite well. I don't think you can use the COVID Olympics in Tokyo as a test case. Mm. So many athletes who might have had their first Olympics experience in Tokyo fully understood that it was because of the pandemic that those restrictions had to be in place. To me, it doesn't make any sense. Any Finishing on day three was the best thing ever for us, but we were hyper aware of when we would return to the village of respecting the other athletes. Like we would, and and like Gian's also pointed out, we if we went out drinking, we were never in the village. We would go out to different hotels. I went to stay with my family who had an Airbnb in Rio. We went to stay with other people during that process. And watching some of these athletes compete after winning our gold medal was moments that will stick with me forever. We, we got to watch Melissa Wu in the diving. I got to watch Usain Bolt win the 100 metres. I sat at the finish line and watched Usain Bolt run towards us in the 100. We supported the Opals and the Boomers and the water polo teams, like all of these fellow Aussies. And that's a huge part of the Olympic experience. We heard stories about Laurie Lawrence and the way that he would get the entire team into these events, into these stadiums to support the Aussie athletes. And I think as a kid, you you grow up, you see the opening and the closing ceremony and you see what it means to be part of the Australian Olympic team and I think it's about so much more than just competing. I totally agree. And I think one of the things that is probably something that's not front of mind for people that, that are a team sporter is the Olympics is an opportunity for those individual athletes to be a part of a team. Totally. And if that team starts leaving and you're like competing on the last day by yourself in front of no one, like you want to have your te- a team around you. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to be in the archery finals and have no one cheering for me. You don't want that. I would never be in the archery finals. <laughs> you can't focus. <laughs> Everyone would have to be wearing protective gear in the grandstands. <laughs> no, but honestly, it is, that is part of it. It's the Australian Olympic team. The word is team. You don't send the team home at halftime. No, you don't. Yeah. Let's start a campaign. <laughs> don't send the team home at halftime. We're onto something here. <laughs> in football, the first weekend of the A-League W finals had everything. A win for the newcomers, a six-goal classic that finished on penalties and also included a goalkeeper taking the first spot kick and a hat trick. It was awesome. It's impressive from a goalie. And she did it like with some real swagger too. Oh, it makes me feel stressed even thinking about that scenario. Apparently in the huddle it was like – you ready for this, Casey? And she went, absolutely. Just wanders up, drains it, then walks to the goal square, saves it. Just followed her own footsteps through to the goal. Yeah. That's cool. So on Saturday, the Melbourne Derby was an elimination final to savour. The Melbourne victory kept their hopes alive for the three-peat when they sent Melbourne City packing after an incredible penalty shootout. The victory's Melina Ayres scored a hat trick in a crazy 19-minute time frame. On fire. She had, she had spiders on her. Spiders. And the win looked secured until City stormed home late to tie the match at 3-all in injury time. Extra time was a tense affair with neither team finding the goal that would avoid the dreaded penalty shootout. The victory's keeper, as you said, Bez, Casey DeMont, took control, stepping up to bury the victory's first spot kick and then saving Katie Bowen's attempt. How hyped would you be? So, yeah, 
her heart rate would have been through the roof. Victory easily accounted for City in the shootout, which finished 4-1 in their favour. In the semi-final on Sunday, the doco that is hopefully being made, I'm s- <laughs> I don't know if anyone's listening, but you should have made a doco. <laughs> Uh, They added another storyline when newcomers Western United secured their spot in the grand final after defeating Sydney FC (sighs) 1-0. I really didn't want to jinx Sydney FC after our discussion last time, but Mm. they're really good in regular season, but finals time's been a bit of a challenge for them the last few years. A 26-minute goal from Golden Boot winner Hannah Keane was enough to send the team through. That's for... Western United. It's a huge effort from a team who had 12 players who had never experienced A-Leagues before the season. Crazy. It's not like they've obviously had some superstars come in, but it's Mm. not like they've got a team jam-packed full with superstars. Like, it's pretty cool that there's some rookies in there getting the job done. Sydney FC, as as we said, will be pretty disappointed in their inability to find the back of the net, finishing the match with 26 shots to eight and 12 shots on target compared to Western United's three. That's soccer for you, isn't it? Oh, that is that is the game. You've just got to, when your opportunity comes, you've got to take it. So Sydney FC will now have to beat Melbourne Victory to earn their place in the grand final. Come on, the Blues. In some more football, it's been a big, it's, well, it's just, a, it's just big. We just keep talking about football. It's great. <laughs> the Matildas had a real up and down week last week. In their first international friendly, they went down 1-0 to a determined Scotland side. The result was a frustrating return to, as we said, missed opportunities and did not bode well for their match later in the week against the Euro champs England. Sam Kerr didn't play that match against Scotland. I think purely for from a capacity reason, she's been playing in multiple comps for Chelsea, mm-hmm. WSL, FA Cup and Champions League. So mm-hmm. you see that a lot in the men's game. They're playing two, three, sometimes four games in a 10-day space. So It's a lot on the body. Rested the legs. She came back for the England match, though, and she seemed to, as she does, fix the issues in front of goal. <laughs> Just carrying the team. Yep. Uh, the Tillies delivered the seemingly elusive nine-minute performance, registering an amazing 2-0 win over the Lionesses. Prior to the defeat, England had held a 30-game undefeated streak. And while the Lionesses had more of the ball and more chances, they really troubled Aussie keeper Mackenzie Arnold, who has been outstanding. She's been really, really solid, hasn't yeah, she? Yeah, really, really cemented that position, I reckon, this year. Um, the goal scorers for the Tillies were, of course, Sam Kerr, who pounced on an uncharacteristic mistake in defence from Leah Williamson to make it 1-0. And then the impressive Charlie Grant made it 2-0 when her header took a deflection and found the back of the net. It was Grant's first goal for the Matildas and sealed an epic win only 100 days out from the World Cup. I, I, re- I really enjoy Sam Kerr's post-match chats. It's she's very candid, isn't she? Very candid, very honest. She doesn't sugarcoat stuff. Sometimes she seems disinterested, and she probably is because she doesn't. You know, <laughs> she does give off the vibe that she's like, quite disinterested yeah. in post-match and I'm, interviews. I'm, like, I'm here for it. Like you know, she's not pretending to be something she's not. And if they played rubbish, then she's yeah, it's written all over her face. Because <laughs> I think with a lot of athletes, you see them make this switch. You see them how they act and behave as a person and then as soon as they're in front of a camera they kind of turn into this trying to be formal person who says all the right things and I've, got, I've got these talking points i've got to get them out yeah and i think it's granted it's a lot of pressure mm. and you don't want to stuff up and say the wrong thing but i think what's really cool about athletes like sam kerr is it's the same person that carries through to then being an in front of camera and you don't feel like you're getting this fake personality in a way the number 20 is her true authentic self at all times let's be honest She did say, so she kept a lid on things after the match in her unique way, saying, we've got a lot of players out, but unfortunately, Benny England doesn't win us anything. I wouldn't be here if it did. I'd be out celebrating. 
Love that from her. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> They're a great team. It's always nice to put in a good team performance and beat a top team. But we better take everything with a grain of salt before the World Cup. It's about building on our performances and where we can get better. So, of course, it feels really nice right now and we will enjoy it tonight, but it's just one step on the journey to the World Cup. Bring it on. I just wanted to quickly point out, we want to know, listeners of The Wrap, we're going to make T-shirts to go and support the Tillies when they take on Ireland in July. What do you want the T-shirt to say? We're opening it up to the listeners and followers of TFAP. Send us a message on our Instagram at the Female Athlete Project with a slogan that you want to read on the T-shirt. Throw us your wit. Are we going to like credit the person? Yeah, they will. They get a free T-shirt. Oh, you just added that in. Yeah, I just made it up then. They have to, don't they? Yeah, for sure. For them and a pal. You and a mate. Yeah, nice. <laughs> throw us your throw us your slogans, people. Obviously, Tilly related. It can't just be I love Vegemite. Well, I do love Vegemite. <laughs> Ash Barty could wear that to the game. I think she's done that and been very well. In golf, Aussie rookie Grace Kim has finished with three straight birdies to claim a dramatic maiden LPGA Tour victory in a sudden death playoff at the Lottie Championship in Hawaii. It was Kim's first LPGA and she had to defeat China's Yulu in South Korean Yujin Sung in a playoff to secure it. The 22-year-old hit a three-wood for her second shot to the fringe of the par 5 18th green on the first playoff hole and then got up and up and down for a birdie. And the translation bears for that one. (laughs) Your golf knowledge is second to none. (laughs) (laughs) So it's three-wood? It's like a... Yeah, like middle of the range kind of shot. It's actually one of the easier woods to hit. Great. Okay. So longer distance to the fringe of the green. So not quite on the green, but just on the edge. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. To get up and down means that you you usually pitching wedge into the green and then putt in one. So up and down. But what about up and up and down? Look, that was me last <laughs> night. Post-match, not writing the right words. Okay. And then got up and up and down. Yeah. Wow. It was a long day yesterday. <laughs> I liked your translation though. That was very helpful. Yeah. It is only Kim's third start on the LPGA Tour after earning her spot last year through the secondary tour. After her win, Kim was lost for words but did manage to say, yeah, just kind of speechless right now. I'll let you know that my second shot on that playoff hole, that wasn't intentional. I kind of got lucky there. So, yeah, I guess it was a good day after all. Nice. She's taking a bit of Sam Kerr about her, isn't she? With honesty, I like it. She pocketed a winner's check of US $300,000. Not bad, eh? Whoa. Get your kids <laughs> to play <a> golf. Kiwi? <laughs> hey. So it's about Australian $447,000. How good's that? How good win? is golf? Wow. She paid tribute to Australian golfing royalty Kari Webb, noting that she's been a recipient of the Kari Webb Scholarship. She said, I mean, I don't think I have to say much. She's already helped me out so much for my amateur days. I think this win is definitely a credit to her for sure. That's really cool. I love, I love the acknowledgement of people that have come before. Kim now has her eyes firmly set on next week's first major of the year, the Chevron Championship in Texas. In tennis, the Women's Tennis Association, or WTA, announced late last week that it will return to hosting tournaments in China this year after suspending all events in the country in 2021 due to the uncertainty over tennis player Peng Shui's safety. In what can only be described, there's a pretty strange statement. The WTA kind of conceded they hadn't confirmed what actually happened to Peng, 
but tennis would return regardless. There's a few question marks about this one, isn't there? There is. The statement said after 16 months of suspended tennis competition in China and sustained efforts at achieving our original requests, the situation has shown no sign of changing. We have concluded we will never fully secure those goals and it will be our players and tournaments who ultimately will be playing will be paying an extraordinary price for their sacrifices. For these reasons, the WTA is lifting its suspension of the operation of tournaments in the People's Republic of China. While we do not regret our decision on the suspension, the WTA and its members feel that now is the time to return to our mission in China. We are hopeful that by returning it, more progress can be made. It is important that our renewed engagement in China provides continued safety for Peng and all the women athletes who will benefit from our return to competition and the opportunities tennis provides. It is essential that women's voices must be heard when speaking out. The WTA will continue to advocate for paying an advancement of women around the world. So, well, hang on, we'll get to this. Peng, <laughs> Peng last appeared in February 2022 when she met Olympic officials at the Beijing Winter Games and it was feared she was being, obviously we spoke about this at the time, it was feared she was being held by the Chinese government after she accused retired Vice Premier Zhang Guali of forcing her into sex during a years-long on and off relationship. That appearance in itself was quite orchestrated as well. It very. Didn't look very natural. Absolutely not. Waki Wang, senior China research at Human Rights Watch, said the WTA deserves credit for its initial stance, which was an act of courage. But the decision to move ahead with the tournament will be a huge disappointment for the Chinese human rights community. It is not surprising, though, given the money at stake and the record of other international businesses in China. And I think that's probably the crux of it. It's about the WTA. I get it. They're a bit hard and rock and hard place kind of situation here. They're a serious coin in tennis in China and I think they've kind of touched on that in their statement saying that we're actually, you know, limiting our exposure, et cetera, et cetera, by not playing there and it's that whole money talks. Yeah, and it's hard to know what the right answer is here because on one one hand it almost feels like they've kind of given up because they haven't been able to find the answers but I don't know if that's a good enough reason. Mm. Interestingly, WTA Chief Executive Steve Simon said, we've achieved, we've achieved some assurances from people that are close to Peng that she's safe and living with her family in Beijing. We do also have some assurances that there won't be any issues with our players and staff while they're competing in China, and hopefully we've received some respect for the stance we took. We haven't seen anyone else take a stance such as we did. There hasn't been any other sporting leagues or any business that have we took that strong stance, we stand behind it. So he's kind of flexed on the fact that, hey, at least we did something. Yeah, and I do respect that they did take a stand, but I think they probably should have been the sporting organisation to take a stand. I don't know. Well, it was one of, one of their players that went missing. So yeah. I think he's having a veiled crack at the men's tour for not standing by them. Right. But, yeah, it's it's a very difficult one because, like we said, there's a huge financial um, carrot over there in China but the human rights history is not great. In netball, the West Coast Fever are unbeaten through five rounds of super netball, holding off a fast finishing Queensland Firebirds and posting a 73 to 71 win. Once again, Fever superstar shooter Janelle Fowler was nearly flawless, converting 60 shots from her 61 attempts. On Saturday, the Giants secured their second win of the season, beating the Collingwood Magpies 59 to 55 in Sydney. Bez, you've got some... Giants v Collingwood stats for us. Yeah, amazingly, that was the 
14th victory from their 15 meetings. And I know you love the Giants. Go the Giants. Thank you. Um, but it's not as if they've been like massive powerhouses in netball. It's. I wonder what it is. Like it's. They're really in Collingwood's head. Yeah, I love it. Is it an? Is it like an AFL thing? Well, I think. I think they do feed off the rivalry that already existed between yeah. Giants and Collingwood in the AFL. Yeah, I like it. It's do, you, cool. do you guys get around them and like rev them up and be like anyone but the Pies? Absolutely. Nice. The Giants led by eleven goals at three quarter time, but did struggle in the fourth quarter after being outscored. 17-10 and mid-quarter Jamie Lee Price told Fox Sports after the match, I think we just didn't stick to our game plan. We obviously froze with the ball a bit and stopped letting it go like we did at the start. We'll have to look at that and see how to fix that because we need to be strong when we finish games as well. The psychology when you're leading a game, I often find athletes and teams sometimes go too far into the protect, save the game mode mm. and then stop playing it's a, it's a, I think it's a really interesting discussion around like foot on the throat kind of, mm. you know, take souls, bury them versus we're, we're good here. It's like the, that's why the coaches always say it's nil all at halftime to the team that's leading. It's nil all. I hate that. We, I know we talk about those sporting cliches a bit because they're hilarious. Maybe I think we should make a T-shirt with just a list of them. It's nil all. We've we've discussed this before, haven't we? Yeah, I, I think we haven't discussed it in T-shirt format. I like <laughs> it. You know, I'm all for that. A list of a list of ordinary sporting cliches. I tell you what wasn't ordinary. Up the Tars yesterday, Concord Oval. Far from ordinary. I will. I I felt ordinary afterwards. I was exhausted. But the mighty Waratahs kept their undefeated season alive with a dramatic one point win over the Queensland Reds. On Sunday, Arvo, the match was an exciting back and forth affair with a crucial Georgina Fredericks turnover. Oh, it was a great turnover. I said to her at the game, I was like, that was a nice little G-Fred finish to the match. She goes, oh, I had two more before that, but that was the, f- you know, at least he got that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> she did have a couple of cracks, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, she did. So, yeah, 31 to 30 was the final score. The Reds led 17-12 at halftime. And the Waratahs got out to a fast start in the second half. We scored two tries pretty quickly and I felt like we were away to the races then. But massive credit to the Reds. They came back. They never really went away. And that was – they nearly, very nearly pinched the win at the end with centre Cecilia Smith missing a sideline conversion with only seven seconds left um, that would have resulted in the win. Another match on Sunday, Arvo, which was an excellent game of rugby union between the Western Force and the Fijiana Drua. The Force got up 23-10 in Perth against the defending champs. Good on the Force. Huge, huge effort from them. The Drua struggled with discipline throughout the match. They played 45 minutes with 14 players and um, after two yellow cards were given to their flanker, Nunia Ulukadavu, resulted in a red. They also, I think they got a, another yellow, so they actually played 10 minutes with 13 players. The Force will now face the ACT Brumbies next week in Perth and the winner of that match will probably secure their spot in the finals, which is super exciting for those two teams. It's really cool. Really cool. Let's take a look at the key story. So in some more rugby union, England women's coach Simon Middleton caused somewhat of a stir in Mm. women's rugby circles or just rugby circles actually last week when he said that female rugby players should be allowed to take conversions from a closer distance because they're not as powerful as male kickers. I'm really angry already. The comments came after England's backup goal kicker Holly Atchison has kicked four from 10 and four from 12 conversion attempts in the Red Roses opening two matches of the Six Nations. Middleton told Telegraph Sport in the UK, Holly Atchison kicked outstandingly against Italy, but she just didn't have the range. I think we should change the parameters a bit for goal kicking for the girls. 
For any try outside the 15-metre line, they should potentially bring the conversion to within the 15-metre line. If you, think of, if you think about things that could change the game positively, is a bit of an unfair game for female kickers because so much about goal kicking relies on power. There's obviously the timing and the technique, but Holly struck the ball beautifully last week and dropped about five under the crossbar. That's really tough. Very few have the kicking power that Emma Singh, she's the Welsh kicker, has all that Emily Scarrett has, who is the currently injured England kicker. The fact that he said very few is very incorrect. Very incorrect. It's very incorrect. There's players from every single country in the world that can kick it from the sideline. And it was weird timing. I don't know whether it was on purpose or not from World Rugby, but they actually posted a compilation video from the Women's Rugby World Cup showing multiple players throughout that tournament. I think it was about seven or eight different kickers draining them from the sideline. Correct. So he's just really incorrect. And I think what really frustrated me about this is it's their second string kicker who doesn't have the distance to kick. So there's got to be more responsibility on Simon and his coaching staff and the pathways that they've put in place to develop more kickers for when their first string kicker is out rather than him trying to point the finger at women's rugby as a whole on a statement that's actually just incorrect. There's not only a few women who can kick it from the sideline. There's many women who can kick it from the sideline. Case in point yesterday afternoon, our Mm -hmm. winger, Desiree Miller, tiny, tiny little human, size eight shorts. (laughs) <laughs> I washed them this morning. I held them up. I was like, what child wears these? Anyway, she does. Drain them from the sideline. You need to stop doing the washing for the team, but that's oh. a story for another day, isn't it? It's, it's, it's got to smell right. <laughs> it's, it's, don't ask. It's just a thing. It's a thing. Okay? It's a good luck thing. I can't change it. And someone like Desiree, how long has she been playing rugby for? Oh, only a couple of years. And she can kick it quite convincingly from the sideline. Yep. Absolutely draining them yesterday. And, you know, it's... It is really disappointing to hear that kind of stuff. And he did fall back on that kind of, you know, he spoke about male-female anatomy and, and physiology and, um, you know, strength levels and width of hips and all these things. That's fine. I absolutely agree with that. There is differences, but those differences don't mean that women can't do it. Great point. You know, like, yes, acknowledge your differences, but, you know, I've seen you drain them from the sideline. Thank Both you. Both place kicking and drop kicking. And I'll say drop kicking is harder than place kicking too. <laughs> okay. It is. <laughs> okay. To kick it that far, it actually is bloody hard. So, yeah, I, I just think it's a really misplaced idea from him and he's an amazing coach. And it, it, I think the biggest thing, it's quite disappointing when you hear someone in that kind of position of power to be like, oh, I'm not sure the girls are quite good enough for this. That's mm. effectively what he's saying and that's what it feels like he's saying. Mm-hmm. Wanted to include some quotes. Um, Ash Hewson, who played for the Wallaroos for many years and arguably one of the best women's kickers in the game. I was going to say, it'd be my if I had to choose someone to kick for my life, it'd have to be her, wouldn't it? Probably be Ash, mainly because I think you'd get too nervous. Oh me? Yeah. Oh, if you were going to die, if yeah. I missed it. Whereas Ash would be stone cold. She's got a heart of absolute rock. That woman, I love it to death, but she'd just drain it. You'd think about it I'm too, too much. I'm too emotional. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when chatting to the Sydney Morning Herald, she said, I see this as a step backwards. I really don't understand where Simon Middleton is coming from, to be honest with you. I think there's plenty of female rugby players past and present that have the ability to kick from anywhere on the field as well as their male counterparts. They're usually half their size too. 
She said, the biggest thing for me is we have fought for so long and so hard for equality in women's sport in general, not just rugby, and we've still got such a long way to go. I understand where he's coming from in a sense, but we don't put women's soccer players on a smaller pitch. She said his idea is not having faith in the systems to develop players. It definitely needs to be coached. Yeah, she's absolutely nailed that. And I think, you know, like I said, it's we acknowledge the differences and that's what makes us wonderful. And But it doesn't mean that we can't do it. Let's take a look at what to watch. The Australian Swimming Championships started on Monday mm. today um, with the country's best Olympic and Paralympic athletes converging on the Gold Coast and all of that swimming action we broadcast on at nine now, so get around it. The World Surf League crossed the country and lands in Western Australia for the Margaret River Pro this week. Tyler Wright will be looking to back up her Bells Beach win in the epic West Aussie conditions. The waiting period starts on Thursday and the event will hold extra importance with it being the mid-season cut decider. Only the top 10 surfers will continue on the WSL after this event. It's going to be very exciting, so make sure you tune in on the WSL app and Foxtel. And our Suncorp Super Netball match of the round is the top of the table clash between the undefeated West Coast Fever and the Adelaide Thunderbirds on Sunday. The match starts at 4pm AEST at RSA Arena in Perth and is live on Foxtel and KO. And that's the wrap. That is the wrap. Wrapped it. Don't forget to submit your t-shirt slogan ideas. I want some Tilly slogans. How good. See you next week. On the t-shirt. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.